Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today, we continue our track of looking at lesser-known composers of the Romantic era with Johann Halverson. We'll also investigate his creative work, the Passacaglia, after Handel. Johan Halverson was born in 1864 in Dremen, Norway. When he was seven years old, which is kind of a late start compared to other composers, Halverson began to learn the violin. He later also picked up the flute as a member of the Civil Defense Band. Playing music was right up Halverson's alley. By the time he was 15 years old, he was regularly performing in pit orchestras for plays and operas. And by the time he was 21, he was the concertmaster, or first chair violinist, in the Bergen Philharmonic Orchestra. Halverson sought out teachers and schooling in several locations during his early adult life. He traveled around the Nordic countries studying theory, composition, and performance. During this time, Halverson was finding mentorship and friendship with prominent composers, including fellow Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg. This was a good relationship for Halverson. Often, people would come to Grieg with commissions and requests that he felt he couldn't complete, and so he would recommend the young Halverson to do the work instead. In one such instance, a folk fiddler wanted his songs transcribed. Grieg, a pianist, felt he was not fully suited to the task, and so passed the job to Halverson instead. And of course, this was Halverson's folk awakening, which allowed him to fully participate in the nationalist movement that was all the rage with the romantics of the time. Halverson then spent some time in Leipzig and Helsinki, moving around from place to place. He also spent some time in Finland teaching at a conservatory. His work up to this point was mainly in violin performance, and his teaching was also centered on the violin. However, he was beginning to take an interest in composing thanks to suggestions from his friend and composer Ferruccio Busoni. It was from this period that one of his more famous pieces, The Entry March of the Boyars, was produced. Unfortunately, he didn't get much time to compose. Grieg, ever supportive friend, helped Halverson get posts as the conductor of both the Bergen Philharmonic and the National Theatre. Interestingly, he never received any formal conducting training before holding these posts. However, as part of his audition for the jobs, he produced a concert that consisted of many of his own works. The director of the National Theatre, Bjorn Bjornsson, was quite taken with his compositional prowess that he immediately gave his support to Halverson securing the posts. And it's a good thing he did. Halverson turned out to be a fantastic orchestral director holding these jobs for 30 years. Halverson also contributed to the theater scene quite a lot during his time as the conductor as he composed incidental music for numerous plays. He also stuck his hands into the purely orchestral realm with rhapsodies and symphonies. Unfortunately, most of these works are rarely played today. Also, unfortunately... Halverson suffered from low self-esteem when it came to his own compositions, and he destroyed many that he did not think were worthy. Johann Halverson retired from conducting in 1929. 
He died a few years later in 1935 in Oslo, Norway, following a decline in health after suffering a stroke. So now we will take a look at the Pasakalia after Handel. This work was one of Halverson's earlier compositions, written in 1894, when he was really just starting to dip his toes into composition. It is based on the finale from Handel's harpsichord suite in G minor. It takes the basic form and idea from Handel's work, but modernizes and expands on that idea. This piece is originally written for violin and cello. However, it has been fully accepted as a violin-viola duet as well, and any combination of stringed instruments can play it. So let's talk a little about what a passacaglia actually is. It's a little bit like a modern jazz chart, where there's a set of chord progressions that plays on and on, as melodies and improvisation happens over the top of it. However, in a passacaglia, the chord progression often isn't as groovy or readily predictable as in jazz. Listen to this excerpt from the beginning of the piece to hear the Pasacaglia bass song. Try to listen to only the lower voice, not the dotted eighth note rhythm in the upper violin voice. So we hope that you heard the notes G, E flat, F, B flat, E flat, C, D, G as that underlying bass line. But how could Halverson, or anybody writing a Pasacaglia for that matter, write this piece <laughs> so it doesn't sound so repetitive? Well, in addition to having the upper melodic voice have various variations, he can have the Pasacaglia bass line voice also vary. In the very next repetition of the Pasacaglia, the viola is playing running eighth notes. The bass line is still exemplified by having the important notes land on the downbeat, though, with other notes in between just being relatively unimportant traveling notes. Sometimes, however, Halverson just gets silly with the chords. In this instance, he starts with the G, but the next prominent downbeat, which is supposed to focus on E-flat, instead he starts us off with a C-sharp, which is not even close to the right note for the progression. But what we have to think of is the function of the chords. When Halverson is focusing on the E-flat, he is actually outlining a four chord which has what's known as a predominant function. Predominant function simply means that in a normal chord progression, it should come before a chord with dominant function, such as a five chord, which then usually resolves back to tonic, or the one chord. What Halverson has done here then with the C-sharp, as well as all the other crazy notes around it, including an E-natural and a melody, and no E-flat at all, is create a diminished chord. Though diminished chords sound kind of scary and out of place, 
they actually serve a function in that they can resolve into basically anything they want to. So, though we're not getting the real predominant function the original baseline lays out, this diminished chord can still take us to wherever we want to go and helps change up the sound of the piece while it takes us there without ruining the pattern of the baseline. This piece, as we mentioned, is based on a handle work for harpsichord. The harpsichord can, of course, play multiple notes at one time, thus allowing for large chords and harmonies to be laid out for the listener. Halverson did run up against the problem that stringed instruments can't quite play full chords. However, as we've mentioned here on the podcast in the past, string instruments can perform something known as double stops, which is when they can have their bow sounding on two or three different strings at once, thus creating chords. In this next section of the piece that is marked significantly slower than what came before it, Halverson pulls out all the stops on the double stops, and we get the full effect of the string duo playing chords. It's quite effective and sounds like a full string quartet. Another technique that Halverson uses to change up the sound is pizzicato, or plucking the strings rather than bowing them. Here, he has written the same repetition of the passacaglia to be repeated, but the second time around is plucked rather than bowed. Halverson did a fantastic job of writing a finale for this work. He asks the performers to start the ending section somewhat slowly and constantly speed up until the end. This tempo increase, along with Halverson's continued use of increasingly dramatic chords, ramps up the energy just like any grand finale for a symphony or concerto. Finally, we've been in G minor for this entire work, but at the very end, Halverson has written the final chord in G major. This technique of writing a major tonic at the end of a minor piece is known as a Picardy third, and it's made by simply raising the third of the chord up a half step, in this case B flat to B natural, thus taking the tonic chord from minor to major. Ah, like a ray of sunshine shining out from the stormy and complex variations. So we obviously haven't walked you through every variation Halverson wrote into his Pasacalia, but hopefully you were able to hear some of them in the background of this episode. We do encourage you to look up a full performance, there are many on YouTube of course, and listen to the true genius writing of Halverson. If you liked this podcast, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. 
Also, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Google Play and sharing this podcast with a like-minded friend. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, my name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Pasicalia in G minor after Handel was performed by Roxana Pavel Goldstein, violin, and Elias Goldstein, viola. You can find The Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to give us a rating and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. <laughs>